Hey guys, welcome back to another horror, wine, and crime. KK and Lo here, back for another week. And are we bringing it this week? I'm super excited for this story. I know we're not like there yet. We're not like starting it right away, but Lo picked, Lo figured this out, picked this out, and researched it. And I'm excited to hear about it because it's just super interesting. I think. And I think that you guys will think too. I think so. Um, I came across this by chance and I'm like, oh, and then I looked into it. And I'm like, why did I pick this one? Because it's really sad. Because it's really sad. Oh, no. Do I need to get my yeah. tissues out? Maybe out of all the stories that we've researched and talked about and um, I watched a documentary on this one, and this one definitely had me, uh, at some parts of the documentary, I was kind of welling up a little bit. Oh, no. But without seeing the documentary in the videos, I mean, it's still sad, but I think it was more sad because I was watching the actual real-life footage of her, you know? Yeah, you get, like, it, it definitely makes a difference when you see, like, the visual with it, for sure, because, like... It just paints, like, the entire picture. Yes. So hopefully I won't cry too hard then. <laughs> well, I don't know. You I, you included pictures for me, so maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> you guys won't be crying, but I will be. <laughs> but before we get into the story, is there any kind of happy news that you want to start out with? Oh, my gosh. Fun? Wow. De- how depressing. I can't think of one thing. <laughs> I mean, um, nothing bad or sad to report, which is good. I, I'm just like kind of at like a medium right now, you know, <laughs> nothing great, nothing horrible. <laughs> and I have my daughter. Even... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and I haven't even like watched anything like nudes to like report either. So, yeah, I'm pretty boring lately, people. I'm finishing the new season of Outer Banks. That's and a big one. Yes. Uh, my daughter is begging me to take her to get her nose pierced. So, Oh, she's at that phase? Shut up. So the next couple of days, she's trying to to get it in. What does she want? Like the, what she does she want? The, the, the stud? Tight hoop, the tight oh, the hoop. hoop. Okay. The tight one, not the dangly one. I get the nose knocker. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. The septum one. The nose knocker. <laughs> Looks like a knocker. For a That's hilarious. I've never heard anybody call it that. <laughs> That'll be cute, though. Yeah. If she, I told her the stud, it, I think, would be more classy and cute. But Yeah, I'm a big fan of the stud look. But but the hoop, the little hoop can be cute, too. Okay, so KK, you got your wine. Are you settled in? Are you ready? I'm settled in. I got my wine. I now have my tissues. I am ready to <laughs> cry. <laughs> that sounds like such a night. Oh, glass of wine and some tissues for my tears. <laughs> sounds so, like a typical night for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so this is the story of Amber Hagerman. Um, she is the inspiration behind the Amber Alert. And if you guys don't know what the Amber Alert is, 
stick it out through the story and you will learn throughout the story and we will um, go into that a little bit more near the end. So we're going to go back to Arlington, Texas, and it's 1986, and little Amber Hagerman is born. She is a beautiful little girl. She is the daughter to and Donna. A few years later, there's about to be four of them. So and exactly four years later, there is her brother, Ray, who was born. Now, it is stated that Donna and Richard did not stay together. Donna has stated that over time, Richard became abusive and it was making it hard to raise a family in that kind of toxic environment. So she really had no choice but to take her kids and move out. So it's now 1995 and now Amber is eight and Ricky is five. She's a single mother of two and she's just trying to make it on her own. This was not an easy task for Don. Like, a matter of fact, it was a very hard task. She was a single mom of two. She had the equivalent of a junior high education level. She dropped out of school when she was in seventh grade. She had to give up. It was hard. It was going to be hard, but she was going to make it. She struggled. She had a job of whatever she could find to make ends meet to cover her finances. She was going to school to get her GED. She also took time to do other studies to try to learn how to do other things to get better opportunities for work. And then she would also donate her time at the Arlington, Texas Welfare Center to help out with families such as herself who struggled. So she had a lot on her plate as a single mom, but when I tell you the girl got it done, she was getting it done. No matter how bad it felt at home, whether it was financial struggles, divorce, parent struggles, Donna shielded that from her kids the most she could. And she watched Amber thrive in school. Amber was on the honor roll student getting A's and B's. Uh, she was actually on the principal's dean list for being an outstanding student, good grades, and being very helpful to others throughout the school. So she was a very well-rounded, amazing little girl. And not only that, Amber was a sweet girl. You could tell she was special. Just if you see the documentary, you could tell she was just a great kid. She loved taking care of her little brother. She actually treated him like it was her, her own child. She said at one point, you know, this is my baby. And Donna kind of, you know, laughed. And she's like, oh, okay, it's your baby. Okay. Aww. But she would like to feed it and hold him. I said, it, <laughs> him. We all and, do it. <laughs> um, and just watch after him and take care of him. And, you know, he looked up to her as her big sister. Uh, she was a fan of music. She loved the 12 Days of Christmas. That was her favorite song for Christmas. And then she also loved America the Beautiful. Her favorite line was uh, part where it says Amber Waves of Green. Shout out to her name. <laughs> right. Uh, she was shy. She was smart. And she was kind. She started hanging out with her best friend, Amanda. They loved playing Barbies. She loved being in the brownies. But most of all, she loved riding 
brand new pink bike that she had just got for Christmas. Now, what made this bike even more special was that Donna barely made me. But she saved enough to achieve this gift, you know, between layaways and working. And Amber knew that. And she was very grateful. She understood. Donna said that was another reason why she was always so proud of her daughter. Because she was very mature enough to understand that money didn't come easy for Donna. And Amber never complained about not having money or having, you know, things that maybe other kids have that they didn't have. That's awesome for eight years old, too. Like, that's a huge thing. Like, she clearly was super smart and mature to, like, realize stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. So many kids would be like, I want, you know, right. so-and-so Ma- has. Throw know. a fit, be whiny, all of that. Yeah. Now, this case is a little unique because Donna was participating in a local news documentary from WFAA, and this was about women's experience in the welfare system, and it was going to be called From Welfare to Work. And a lot of women didn't want to do it, but Donna was willing to be the experiment for her and her family if it meant getting her on her feet and getting her the extra help. So... They started working on this documentary. Uh, The videos were supposed to be more for Donna and her struggles and how to go from being in the welfare system to getting a job and pulling herself up. But by doing the video, you'll see a lot of Amber and her brother and of them just living normal life stuff. So it's just very raw footage of natural life of them as a family. So there's also a documentary called Amber, the girl behind the Amber Alert, and that's on Peacock right now. And that's the one that I watched um, that was set. So my creepies, when I tell you this one was rough, I'm not playing. This is the real deal. This was the tearjerker? This was the tearjerker. So I'm watching her because I'm watching Amber. There's a video of her and she's got this dress on that she loved that's white with polka dots on it. And she's blowing out her birthday candles and she's got friends there and it's a little birthday party and she didn't care how fancy it was. She was just happy and she's um, opening a present that Donna had just paid off from Walmart and it included a set of Pocahontas bed sheets. And when she was just so much joy and on her face, you could tell she was just elated to get Pocahontas sheets, something so simple and practical that worked to make her happy. It was just, I don't know. It was a warm feeling. Yeah. So the entry was actually set to air just a few days after Amber went missing. So this is going to put us on Saturday, January 13th, 1996. And it was a warmer winter day outside and Don and the kids decided they were going to go visit her grandparents and they loved going there. They kept their bikes at a ride. Grandma and grandpa loved seeing them. They seen them quite a bit. The grandparents would, you know, help out and watch the kids quite a bit so it could work, but they didn't mind. They were good kids. And so they pull up and they get the hugs and the kisses from, you know, grandma and grandpa 
And then with it being a little bit warmer out, Amber asked if she and Ricky could ride their bikes outside. And Donna agreed, but there was only one rule. And she was pretty stern about it. Like, you go around the block, no further. And she said, okay. And Donna wasn't really that worried about it because she grew up on that street. It seemed like a safe neighborhood. She'd done it her life. There was not a whole lot ever really going on. So it's not like she was in a sketchy neighborhood where she, she would even be worried about it. Plus, it was still the 90s. So it wasn't like as, you know, I feel like people were still like, okay, you guys can go ride your bikes outside. And, and a block is not even far. So, yep. So, and they knew, it sounded like it was pretty routine, like around the block and back, you know, like stay in this second location. <laughs> I mean, like. Right. So now it's 3.10. Amber and Ricky take off on the bikes. Now Amber is nine and Ricky is five. Uh, soon after, something caught their eyes. And when I say it was like two-tenths, of a mile from their grandparents' house. So it wasn't even that far. Um, they spotted this ramp, and it's actually like a loading ramp that was uh, abandoned at a Winn-Dixie store. So I mean, when you're a kid and you see this ramp and you're on a bike, like most kids are going to be like, like, yeah, no, we're going for this, you know? Right. That's like dangling candy in front of their face, basically. And it's so close. Like, I know we're not supposed to stop, but we're like, just right there. Just let's just do it a couple times and then we'll go home. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, right. So, and like, mom can chill out just for a minute. Okay. She's not going to know. Like, let's just do this. Yeah. But the thrill ran over Ricky pretty quick. He was like, hey, we really should head back. I don't want to get, you know, mom mad at us. And then we're going to get in trouble. So I'm going back. He says, go ahead, right behind you. Ricky says, okay. And he takes off on his bike. Well, Ricky arrives home and his mama and grandma are, where's Amber? And he was kind of reluctant, but he's like, she's on the ramp behind the grocery store. And. And his mom was like, get your ass back on that bike. Right. Go get her and get home now, young man. So he's like, yes, ma'am. Exactly what he does. But upon arriving, Ricky sees only Amber's bike laying on the ground and she's gone. Oh, my gosh. Had to be the worst feeling ever. Yeah. And if that picture that I posted doesn't just get you in your little yep. chills. You see how fast I scrolled past that? I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, tears. So immediately um, he turns around and he rides back home and he's like, as fast as his feet can take him. And his grandpa had been working, doing work outside in the garage. So he sees him pull up on his bike and he's like, where is and he explains, you know, she's not there. You know, her bike was there, but she's not there. So grandpa is like having a what the fuck moment. And, and he grabs Ricky up in the truck and he drives back and they book it to where she was. And the time they get back, the cops are already there. And they explain to grandpa that they're investigating a missing little girl. So now it's 318. So they left 
grandma's house at 310. And in eight minutes, chaos happened that quick. Eight minutes, that's so fast. It is. It's just like, wow. Like, it's sometimes it's hard for the mind to comprehend. Like, a lot can happen in such short time. Right. That's such a blimp of a moment. Like, not even 10 minutes, all that happened. And literally, like, two minutes from the house. You know what I mean? Right. So now it's 3.18, and while Ricky was speeding home, there was a witness by the name of Jim Kevill. And he was in his backyard doing some yard work, and he could see through, uh, like, a gated fence, um, a black truck pull up. He said he was a white dude. Um, truck pulled up behind Amber. He jumped out of the truck, grabbed her from behind. She's kicking and screaming and yelling for help. And he throws her into the back of the truck and speeds out like that fast. Like didn't even try to lure her in. He just jumped out and grabbed her. Wow. Yeah. So Jimmy is a 78 years old. He's a U.S. veteran. He's a former sheriff deputy. Happened to be working in his backyard, but you know, 78 years old, so it's not like he can run, hop the fence, and help, you know. So he runs in the house and immediately calls 911 and tells them, like, hey, I just saw a little girl get kidnapped, thrown in the back of the truck, and tries giving them like as much as details as he can in that moment. Donna explains to the producers of the documentary documentary that once she's got the news of what was going on she just kept continuing recording anyways uh, because eventually they were going to use this footage for it ends up being used for something totally different there's a new documentary and it was called after amber Uh, that's not why she's recording she more so kept recording because she wanted all the details and Amber's face and footage and everything she wanted on camera the more that she could get out there into the public the better so she was kind of using it that way okay um, and in the documentary there is a lady I forget her name um, that she sticks with she came in to do the documentary with Amber's family and when all that happened because she was with them for two months recording she almost became family you know what I mean right because she was there so, so often and everything Yep. So when she heard this, she immediately was sticking through. Yes, they were still recording, but she was being there as a friend, as someone that Donna could lean on, help, do whatever she could to find Amber as well. So you can actually see all this on the Amber Alert documentary. And I've seen it on Peacock, but I think you can also watch it on YouTube as well. So now out of respect out of everything that happened to Amber, they put the documentary of the welfare to working on hold indefinitely. They just felt like with the way the story ended and everything that happened to Amber, it would have just been inappropriate and a disrespect to make the first documentary. So they just ended that one completely. 
The community in Arlington was more than amazing. The BTA at Amber School advocated and got everybody they could to participate in the search for her immediately. The vice president got 22 forests to donate pink ribbons to tie around trees throughout the city and also to pass out to students and kids community. They got local pizza places to donate food to all the people outside searching for her. They just, they all band together as a community so quick, so fast. It was pretty touching to see. Uh, they got the local radio workers to spread the word about Amber and the and another neighbor, Chris, he heard Donna scream when she got the news about Amber because uh, immediately she took off running down the street, just yelling her name and hoping that Amber could hear her. Just She just didn't give up. She just kept screaming, Amber, Amber, running. He rushed over to find out what was going on, and he immediately jumped in his truck. He drove around the entire night looking for Amber. He even came across the truck. He followed the truck into the night and into a different town, but unfortunately, it was not the same truck. Chris also got 30 people. Uh, he bought powerful flashlights. He spent every night looking for her. They also added 50 police and about 30 FBI agents. Um, her case gained media attention so fast. The world fell in love with Amber so quickly. And then how can you not? Those little freckles. I mean, oh my gosh. I know. She was really cute. And like all the personal videos. It was just, it felt so personal when you watch it. Despite the regular relationship that Don and Richard clearly did not stop Richard from coming to look for his daughter. Um, they did not let that get in the way, even though they were not together. Um, they didn't share the kids like on a tight schedule. He would show up, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever, but when he got word about his daughter, he hightailed it over there. Um, at first, I did kind of question where was Richard's whereabouts and did admit that. At first, she thought maybe he could have had something to do with it. But when he was cleared and his alibi was tight, she embraced his help. And he was there by her side throughout everything, trying to find his daughter as well. And she did admit, you know, she's very relieved to find out, like, it wasn't her dad and that he would not hurt her. In the beginning, they admit they felt a little exploited by the news and the media. Of everything that was going on, the footage that was being revealed, they thought, you know, were they kind of taken advantage of for a news story? But then at the same time, they're like, you know what? Let them use us because we're going to use them to use her to keep her in the media as well. So it's kind of like, I guess, at the end of the day, they were using each other. Right. Because, like, it does suck, like, the exploitation of everything. But at the same time, like you said, like, just having Amber's face, like, plastered in front of everybody to, like, for everybody to see can make a huge difference. You know, if someone spots her out on the street somewhere, if someone saw something and be like, wait, I saw that little girl it could like make a huge difference. Absolutely. The more airtime they got, the better. Right. So now it's January 17th. It's about 1130 PM. And 
four days and four miles from her grandparents' house, there was a body of a young girl that was found. A man, Stuart Coker, was walking his North Folk Terrier dog, Yoda. Love the name. Uh, I was about to say. (laughs) Amazing. Um, He was walking in the northwest corner of his apartment near a creek. There had just been a very large rainstorm, so it was overflowing. And his dog was pulling him towards the water when he found the body face down in the water. Stewart immediately ran back to his apartment, yelling the words, I found her, I found her, I found her in the creek. Um, after getting sick to his stomach, he like literally was throwing up. He got another neighbor involved and asked him to confirm, you know, do you see what I see? And he said, yes. They both immediately called 911. The police told him, do not touch the body. Um, but due to the rainstorm and the overflow of the water, not to mention her floating in the creek, most evidence, if not all, washed away. Because of the high media and the case of all the commotion and what's going on, people did rush over to see if it was Amber that was actually in the creek. And they gathered around, which brought the news crew airtime. And unfortunately, it was aired on the news that a body had been found matching Amber's description before the police could even privately talk to Donna and prepare the family for it. Which I got to say, it was very salty and shaded to me, in my opinion, and it kind of pissed me off because I get that it's a high priority story and it's like a huge deal and everybody wants to be the one to report it. But for Donna to see that and hear it on the news before they could get a heads up, why do we have to hear it on TV? Like, couldn't you have just given me like an hour to process before I learned with the rest of the world on TV that that could be my daughter? Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. That's so disrespectful to her family. It's disrespectful for people to even go down there just to try to see. That whole thing is crazy to me i think there needs to be something in place and i don't know if laws have changed since then where like before it hits media coverage there needs to be a process like put in place because that's just messed up that that's how she learned about it or about the situation at least through the television when other people were already there like just gawking at the scene Yeah, because to them, it was just a high profile crime scene. I mean, not that the other people weren't have their hearts in it to try to save Amber and help find her. But I feel like they should have like, before the news reported it, like, hey, like, why don't we all agree to give her like an hour of process time? And then we'll agree to all air. You know what I mean? Like, right, exactly. 90 minutes later, they're in disbelief. Until DNA says otherwise, they're like, they they can't wrap their head around it. They're like, nope, it's not her. It's not her. Until we have proof, it's not her. When the news finally makes a statement, it was confirmed that it was Amber. Donna was still in disbelief. She dropped to her knees. She screamed and she cried. And mother her and they cried as well. 
She states that she just remembers saying she's never going to hold her. She's never going to touch her. She's never going to be able to hug and kiss her and see her ever again or hear her or talk to her or say those words. That broke my heart. Yeah, gosh, that's gut-wrenching. She states that she wanted to go and see her, but they kept saying that she wasn't allowed, that they she can't see her, and she just kept saying, I want to see my Amber, I want to see my Amber, I want to hold her, I want to kiss her, I want to tell her I love her. And they told her that they let her, she could not, and also that she didn't want to see her daughter that way, that she was too damaged and cut up, and she didn't even look like Amber anymore. And they didn't want her to see Amber in that way. Oh, that's so tough because I see both points. Like I, I see why Donna would want to go see her. You know, she's like, that's that's my baby. I want to go see her. But then I also get why they wouldn't let her because it's like, that's just not going to be a good thing for you to see because I don't know, like that's just rough. Yeah. Um Amber, she was naked. The only thing that was on her was a sock on her left foot. The official cause of her death was a cut wound to her neck and her throat. They are stating that it was either a knife or a very blunt object such as a screwdriver. Which I gotta say, that's a very savage way to go. Yeah. That is terrifying for that poor little girl i can't even i can't even imagine like how horrified she had to be in that moment like just what pure evil could do that to like a little girl a monster yeah there were no defense rooms on amber which led police to believe that she was held captive for a couple days before she was found they also believe that she jumped in the creek within just hours before she was found. And they stated that it was also shown that she was sexually assaulted before she was murdered. Ugh. Which I got to say, like, that's got to be pretty ballsy. And they have to know that town pretty damn well to be able to ditch her if she was only there like a few hours before she was found because the whole community was out in groves looking for her right if this was like so highly publicized like and everybody was so invested in this case like yeah that's that's pretty crazy yeah he had to have known like was a spot that not a lot of people are going to be at. You know what I mean? Like, he had to know his ins and outs. Right. There was actually two maintenance men that were out there by the creek working. Um, they Police did locate them, and they questioned them. They were cleared for any involvement. But they did state that within a couple of hours of Amber being found, they saw no one and they saw nothing. They believed her body was put in the creek upstream, but due to the heavy rain and the overflow of the creek, that it did push her body down the stream. And that's how she did probably get some of her cuts and bruises and, you know, beat up a little bit. Clearly, that's not how her throat was cut, but. 
It also stated that the police and FBI searched for six hours before they even moved her body. They were looking through everything and anything that they could to find evidence, DNA, anything they could hold on to. But because of the storm, so much stuff was washed away, unfortunately. One investigator stated that there was actually over a thousand gallons of water that had been washed over her body. Three days later at the First United Methodist Church, they hosted the funeral for Amber and they laid her body to rest at the Moore Memorial Gardens. Once again, the community rallied around Donna and her family. If you watch the documentary, it said there was thousands and thousands of people that showed up to the funeral. So many people wanted to donate money. They brought stuffed animals. They brought food. There were so many people that they actually had to have police get involved and escort people to and from the door at one point because it was so chaotic. And there was just the overwhelming amount of people wanting to help. One of the police officers actually sat down and cried because of this of Amber and the generosity of the community, it was just so emotional to see so many people. He said that the officer knew the community well, and most of them didn't have anything to offer. They were all on welfare and struggling themselves. But at the end of the day, they were just trying to do what they could to help. And they were still giving whatever they could to help out Don and her family. Donna is a volunteer at an organization called The Warm Place, and it's a place where kids go who are fighting and trying to heal with grief or death of a loved one. Um, she took over a hundred stuffed animals and donated them all for the little kid there. And we'll post a link on our social media if you want to learn more about the organization. If you want to help donate or donate anything in Amber's name, there is a link that you can go to. As of 2021, the investigation is still open and they have yet to catch any suspects. Um, however, they did have 7,000 leads. And to me, that seems like a lot. But when I'm listening to the way they're talking, it doesn't seem like it's that much in perspective yeah at first when you said seven thousand leads i was like shit that's that's a lot of uh, leads to have but this is over like such a long span of time that i mean what is that like 24 years pretty much i think Some... at that point, i think it was like a 25 year anniversary had just passed yeah so i mean so yeah i guess seven thousand wouldn't be that much because they would be investigating so many different people. And if you remember, we talked about Jim Cavell in the beginning. He's the one that made the one phone call and he was the only witness. But unfortunately, since then, he had passed away as well. Well, hopefully they got to talk to him extensively before he passed away just to have like all that information. I hope so. And whatever he took with him being a sheriff, I'm really hoping he had the details and was professional enough in the background to know what they needed and what could be useful 
knowing that he used to be a sheriff, he's got that background, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but the police, FBI, they're not certain that someone hasn't seen anything. They're pretty sure that somebody does know something because it was a parking lot. And even though the Winn-Dixie was not up and going, it was closed down. There was a lunch that was connected to it because it was like a strip mall type deal. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty busy. So they're hoping that someone saw something and it was daylight. Like it was three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. I feel like it's more likely that at least one other person saw something than only Jim. Yeah. Now they said that there is a section over there that a lot of immigration was living there. Um, and they put out statements saying that anybody who comes forward, um, if you are an immigrant, immigration, or, you know, I guess it was immigrant. Im- immigrant. It just sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Um that they will not deport you. They will not question why you're here, how long you're here. They don't want any of that. You just give us any detail to solve this case and answers to what happened to Amber. That's all they want. That's all they're going to focus on. I think that's an awesome deal. However, I feel like that would also motivate a lot of people to lie just to try to get out of, you know, deportation. Like, like oh i saw this happen and this happened and this happened so then it's like do they get out of it just for saying that they saw it when they really didn't well i don't think they're saying like hey we'll make a trade you can stay here they're saying we're not even going to ask you about it so if a mexican or hispanic guy walks in they're not going to be like hey where do you live they just they just want to know about amber i don't even want to know why you're here how long i see they're not doing like a trade type thing no, they're not even going to ask you anything about your personal life. Just tell us what you know about Amber and that's it. Okay. You know, You're right. That's to do. So the police also believe that she was kept alive for a few days because um, she was murdered, but have a gut feeling that there was an accomplice to the murder or at least to her captive. So somebody possibly could have crossed paths with her or them, but they're not 100%. That's just a gut feeling. One big question from the community is they want to know, like, sex offenders, guys, like, what's going on with the neighborhood? So when Amber was murdered, there was 204 sex offenders living in Arlington at the time, and 49 of them lived in the same zip as Amber. With Amber's death and all this information coming out about sex offenders, this terrified the community. It made parents walk their kids to school or drive their kids to school. Um, no kids were walking by themselves to or from school. The principal said so more parents were showing up at the school before and after school. Like nobody was alone anymore. And not to mention everybody in the neighborhood is on alert and in panic because there's a killer on the loose in our neighborhood. Yeah, that would make, I think, all the parents, like, 
put a leash on their kids basically because that oh would gosh. just be a horrifying you know feeling because you don't know is it going to happen to your child next exactly so meanwhile don and her family they're pushing for sex offenders to be on a lifelong registry and also if caught doing something to a child or with a child it should just be like life in prison like no exceptions yeah i'm on board with that so this is a part of another article and it stated that 95 percent of sex offenders out there are not killers so that made it really hard on the family to hear that because the person who did this probably lived in the community and was not someone passing through um for example when amber was kidnapped um the way they would have came out of the parking lot if you turned left you're going back into town and if you turn right you're going like almost pretty much freeway and you would have been out of town the driver went left so he stayed, he went towards being in town instead of leaving the town. Ah, okay. That's a very, so, I feel like that's a big piece, like a huge part of it to like figuring out who did it. Yeah. So that's kind of too why they're like, it's got to be somebody from the community because if it was someone driving through, they would jump right back on the interstate and took off. Right. And the fact that she was found in the town a few days later too. Yeah, four miles from grandma's house. Right. So back in 96, when they did an investigation, um, it seemed like there was grasping at straws. They were trying so desperately to find any lead, anything. And they even went as far as asking Jim to go under hypnosis, but quite politely declined saying, you know, I don't think you should mess with your mind like that. You know what I mean? Like i'm good plus like what would hypnosis do for him because he was like fully awake and aware of what he saw i just feel like hypnosis wouldn't have helped like i don't know yeah and it was so quick like right the guy literally pulled up like all in like four seconds you know what i mean like yeah there wouldn't like there wouldn't be that much to unpack yeah, like, and like he's like, hey, you know, can you give me directions? Or, hey, have you seen my cat? Or, hey, there was no talking to her to where she could have zoomed her bike, you know, screaming for help. He literally blindsided her, came up behind her, grabbed her so quick and threw her in. Like, she didn't even see it coming. Right. Know? Yeah. Randy Lockhart was one of the lead investigations in 1984. And he has a lot of different, he had a lot of different beats of his department, but one of the major ones was sexual crimes against kids. And since he retired, um, he did criticize some of the other police departments stating that like in the beginning, they held back information. They did not put everything that they know out into the community into other police departments or they didn't share everything that they knew immediately and he feels that they'd done that that might lead to recovering Amber while she was still alive 
There was also suspicions of a gentleman that Donna was dating at the time. Now, he ended up having a seizure and he did crash his bowl and he passed away. But they're not 100% sure that he wasn't involved, but they're not 100% sure that he was either. So I don't know how Donna feels about that. Um, in March of 96, Amber Hagerman um, Task Force created, and this is consisting in 45 arson investigators. It had 35 FBA agents, and many other agents from all the country uh, came in, and they all worked together for just about over a year. They would travel around the world, around the country. They followed leads, suspects anything that had any kind of potential to solve the case. They didn't hold back. They even looked into Donna and Richard, but they were both clear and passed of lie detectors tests with flying colors. And I mean, it would have been hard for Donna involved. She had cameras on her for like three months. Right. Yeah, exactly. That would have been pretty stupid on her part if that was the case. Yeah. After spending over a million dollars on a task uh, the U.S., they came to the point where they had no more to follow. They unfortunately had to announce that they were shutting down the task. And this was heartbreaking. This brought a U-Haul that filled the back of the truck with over 100 boxes of information that they had to remove and take to a different storage facility. As of now, there are no names, there are no suspects, there's nothing currently in place for Amber's case. Donna and Richard worked very hard to keep Amber's name in the media, the papers. They also worked very hard to get a legislation made for harsher laws against sex crimes with children. In March of 1996, Donna and Richie went to the White House and they watched Bill Clinton sign the Amber Hagerman Protection Act. And in this act, it would state that anyone who had two acts of sexual crimes with children would automatically get life in prison. Love that. Yes. Go Clinton. Right. <laughs> in 1996, Donna made a public plea for Amber's killer to please come forward. And she states, and I quote, my little girl did nothing to you. Why did you terrify her? Why did you take her clothing from her? Why did you touch her where you're not supposed to? Why did you hurt her? And most of all, why did you kill her? End quote. Oh. She, she tried writing one last letter, but despite our efforts, killer did not turn himself in. To this day, Donna still talks to the media. She gives interviews. She talks to the press. She continues to tell her story and Amber's story. A huge part of the story is Amber's story of her, you know, kidnapped and being murdered and all the terrors. But another big part of it is the Amber Alert system and how Amber Hagerman inspired the Amber Alert system. Those who might not know what it is, it is a system to help missing children as soon as possible. These alerts do go off 
a phone, you see them on signs, freeways, you hear them on radio stations and across your TV. It varies from state to state, but it lets out when a child is abducted as soon as possible. Donna asks Amber, asks that, you know, it is inspired by Amber to remember that she did sacrifice her life for this. Um, she knows Amber would be so happy to know that she's saving people all over the world, but just don't forget why and how it got created. And I will say whenever I hear Amber, trust me, it's going to be Amber Hagerman that I think of, not the actual alert. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. It's going to be connected for me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Same here, because prior to this, I didn't know that that was the story behind it. Um, I don't even know if I ever really questioned why it was called the Amber Alert. And I'm sure a ton of other people didn't know this story. Probably more people than not didn't know that this was the story behind it. So, um, yeah, definitely will think of her the entire time and anytime my phone buzzes for them. Definitely really put a bunch of thought i just thought the amber alert was just either abbreviation or they just named it that i didn't right you know. same so but it does stand for america's missing broadcast emergency response amber's death inspired diane simone from texas in 96 she was actually working as a massage therapist in a parlor and she's speaking with one of her clients a reverend when she broke down crying and started talking about what and that she didn't understand why there wasn't some kind of an alert system that could help missing kids be found a lot faster. Like in mind, she's thinking we get alerts for the weather channel that quick. Why not for when the kid gets abducted that quick? Genius, honestly. Yeah. So at first, you know, she suggested how about, we send them to cell phones, but the Reverend and, you know, her client suggested, well, what about radio stations? So she stopped what she was doing. Like she was like mid massage and she's just like, you chill out. I'll be right back. And she <laughs> ran and she called the local radio station, KDMX 102.9 FM. sobbing on the phone and she's crying and she's suggesting to them, about the Amber Hagerman plan and tells them that it could be a good plan to alert people community as soon as a child goes missing. So instead of being the Amber Hagerman plan, it turned in just to Amber alert. What a freaking badass! She has the, that idea and just got up and was like, I'm about to do something about this. Yeah, for reals. Like, that's she's amazing. So oh my God. Yes. So. Clink, clink, cheers to Diane Simone. Yeah, shout out blast. to her. Mm -hmm. So after making a few phone calls and writing some letters to the station, fast forward to 2003, Donna and Richard uh, witnesses at the White House for George Bush signed the Amber Hagerman legislation and made it into a law. Um, so while Diane and Ricky got to watch this, um, unfortunately, Diane did get lost in the shuffle because she didn't get the credit for it. She didn't get the recognition for it. Um, she's the one that put the plan into action. She was the one that 
came up with the idea along the she didn't get it for the idea but because we said diane was badass um she was quoted and she's well like i don't care that i don't get credit for i don't care that my name's not involved with it all i care is that the law got made and that something's being done and i am happy with just as that that's it that is a really really great person right there for real like not doing it for the recognition or the publicity but just truly because she wanted to make a change and she made it happen but i do think that she definitely deserves more recognition for that because that's huge oh her the reverend the client that was with her when she wrote the letters and came up with the idea and he actually went and forwarded a copy of the letter and made sure that people seen it to where she got the credit that she deserved good so after deploying the alert in 1998 the arlington police department rescued a two-month-old baby ray lee Burry, who had been kidnapped by her babysitter um a guy driving a truck happened to see the amber alert i'm sorry it would have been on the radio so he heard the amber alert the description of the car the license plate all the details and he made the phone call he's like that's her she's got the baby in the front seat with her i'm right behind the truck right now and i can't believe it i'm looking at it and the police pull it over and immediately rescued the baby reuniting it with the family oh nice so thanks to diane amber amber system was working and they had saved a thousand kids giving them reuniting moments with their families and their homes in 2021 it was 25 years since amber had been taken but there was a pref- press conference that was held in a parking lot and again there donna gave a another plea to the killer to please come forward please turn yourself in um, but again, nothing came out of it. And, you know, they talk about how they have a little bit of DNA left and they're holding on to it. Um, and they're just, they're waiting for the technology to grow. Um, I don't know when they're going to try or what they're going to do. I know if you listen to our last couple of cases, we talked about, you know, these days they got these, uh, 3D profiles now are like these profile with the DNA is generating it more into a human look like they can put the facial features, the hair, the eye color, everything. So maybe eventually they'll be able to put there and uh, find guy. Um, we've come so far in DNA. I'm just I'm really hoping that this is for Amber soon. Right. At one point, there was a $75,000 reward for Amber's killer um, if he was arrested. But since then, it's been now dropped back down to $10,000. If you know anything, please call the Arlington Police Station. If you do not want to have your name attached to it, you do not want to be connected at all, you can call the Arlington Crime Stoppers and it will be anonymous. So if you know something, we've said it before, 
It may be the stupidest thing in the entire world, but that might be the one thing that can unravel the entire thing that can solve her. So just to refresh, Amber was nine years old. She was Caucasian. She was brown haired. She had the cutest little freckles all over her face. She was 74 pounds and about four inches feet tall. She had bright blue eyes, dark brown hair, and her body was found at the Forest Hill Apartments, which has now been changed to Hudson's Apartments. The suspect was white or Hispanic, male, 20 to 30s, back in 96, so obviously he'd be a lot older right now. Um, under six feet tall, medium build, brown hair, black hair. Vehicle was a 1980s or 90s full-size fleet side pickup truck. Short wheels, based single cab. The rear window was clear. It did not have a sliding glass window. There was no chrome. It was solid black. No stripping. The truck was in good condition and had no visible damage. So as of May 1st, 2022, the Amber Alert program um, had recovered over 1,119 children. And now the wireless emergency alerts have resulted in the rescue of 123 children. And there are 82 Amber Alert plans throughout the nation. The plan is in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. The system is used internationally in 31 countries. I love that it's spread to different countries as well, because it's just such a great idea in the first place that the fact that it's like gone international I think is like really awesome oh yeah Diane's like beside Amber being the number one hero because I'm giving her full credit because Amber deserves it okay right um but other than that Diane is just like I don't know the closest thing to a miracle worker for real (laughs) She's a hero for sure. Oh yeah. It's got special plans for her in heaven, man. She's gonna she's gonna be sitting pretty. Right, exactly. She's gonna be a table like that with Whitney Houston and like <laughs> Elvis. And Jesus. She's gonna be, be at the good table. <laughs> Jesus and not Jesus. Elvis can be a little questionable, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know for sure about Elvis, but <laughs> uh, Tupac and Biggie. I don't know. Maybe she might be seated at the wrong table. <laughs> uh, Whitney and Princess Diana. There we go. There we go. Better Princess okay. Diana for sure. <laughs> okay. So just to kind of end with some Amber alert facts, um, just in case you guys don't know, because I really didn't know personally like a lot about the Amber alert. I just knew it was this big thing that would go off on the TV or on my phone when there was a child missing that gave, you know, description of like the child and like what they knew and basically just that the child was missing. So keep your eyes open. So that's pretty much all that I knew about it. Um, So just some more information behind the Amber Alert. So the basic definition, uh, an Amber Alert or a child abduction emergency alert is a message distributed by a child abduction alert system to ask the public for help in finding abducted children. Uh, 
and the system did originate in the U.S. And um, Lowe did mention this a little bit ago, but it is an acronym standing for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. Um, In the United States, Amber Alerts are distributed via commercial and public radio stations, internet radio, satellite radio, television stations, text messages, and cable TV by the Emergency Alert System and the NOAA Weather Radio, um, where there they're termed Child Abduction Emergency or Amber Alerts. The alerts are also issued via email, electronic traffic condition signs, commercial electronic boards, and through wireless device SMS text messages as well. And Amber Alert is so huge that it's also teamed up with companies like Google, Bing, and Facebook, which are like three ginormous companies, obviously. Um, They teamed up with them to relay information regarding an Amber Alert to an ever-growing demographic, basically just to get the word spread to anybody, any age, just so that everybody has their eyes opened and is aware when a child is missing. Um, Amber Alerts are automatically displayed if citizens search or use map features on Google or Bing. With the Google Child Alert, um, also called Google Amber Alert in some countries, citizens see an Amber Alert if they search for related information in a particular location where a child has recently been abducted and an alert was issued. So basically, anywhere you go on your phone or the internet or the TV or the radio, you're going to hear about a missing child if there's an amber alert issued for them and i think that that's awesome because it's like they're spreading the word in the most universal way that they can for anybody to see so this is a component of the amber alert system that is already active in the u.s um, and they're starting to develop these types of things in europe as well um You can subscribe to receive Amber Alerts in the area via text message, Um, and they're free, So, but some states, they display like these scroll boards in front of lottery terminals that are also used. So, like I said, they are plastered everywhere. The decision to declare an Amber Alert is made by each police organization. Um, In many cases, the state police or highway patrol are the ones who do it, and they investigate each of the abductions. Public information in an Amber Alert usually consists of the name and description of the abductee, a description of the suspected abductor, and a description and license plate number of the abductor's vehicle, if that's available. So basically how it works um, in the U.S. Department of Justice, they issue these like guidance, like the guidelines that they kind of follow, which most states are said to adhere very closely to, at least in the United States. It can be kind of different in different countries, but in the U.S., they follow these four basic guidelines. So number one, law enforcement must confirm that an abduction has taken place. Number two, the child must be at risk of serious injury or death. 
Number three, there must be sufficient descriptive information of a child, captor, or captor's vehicle to issue an alert. And number four, the child must be under the age of 17 years old. So those are like the four guidelines that they kind of have to follow for it to officially be deemed an Amber Alert. Because, you know, kids go missing, unfortunately, all the time, but they're not all going to fall under the Amber Alert system. There's also, they have a silver alert, um, which I think is really great. So a silver alert is a public notification system in the U.S. that broadcasts information about missing persons, but especially it focuses on senior citizens um, with Alzheimer's disease, dementia, or other mental disabilities, um, basically in order to aid in finding them, locating where they're at. And it's the same thing. They use radio and TV broadcasts to send out the information. Um, Supporters of Silver Alert point to the United States growing elderly population, basically as a reason to support new programs to locate missing seniors. And approximately six in 10 dementia sufferers will wander off at least once Um, and if they're not found within 24 hours up to half of wandering seniors with dementia suffer serious injury or death so I just think that that's really sad you know when older people if they do unfortunately get these diseases a lot of times they really do wander off and they just don't know where they're going or what they're doing so I love that they put this silver alert in place to locate senior citizens as well who have, you know, gone missing. Yeah, some of these older people, especially with dementia or Alzheimer's, it's almost like a lost toddler. Yeah, because, you know, when their mind starts going, they don't know. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, that has to be obviously scary for the family, but scary for them as well, because I can't imagine like, feeling so confused and lost obviously they're going to wander off because they have no idea who they are where they're going where they're supposed to be or any of that but yeah those were just some of the behind not behind the scenes but whatever the back facts of everything um just because i don't think it's talked about enough and people don't really know that much about it um but yeah definitely love that they have this system in place and love that it's growing and that it's helped find so many children. Absolutely. Um, again, like I said, when I hear that alert go off on my phone, because it's a loud alert. Sometimes it like wakes me in the middle of the night and I'm like, what the fuck's happening? Yes. <laughs> it's scary. Um, I, now when I hear it, like I said, it's going to have a, a new stigma for me. So I will always be thinking of Amber now. Yes, same here. I will never forget that that's where that came from. And as sad as this case was, and I am so sad and sorry that the story had to be reported the way that it was. Um, but I'm glad that at least in the sadness of losing Amber, she is making a difference to the world. Yeah, definitely. 
a very positive thing came out of a very, very dark negative thing, which often um, often is the case, unfortunately. But yeah, I know her brother um, talk about his struggles because he was five when it happened and he for a long time took the blame of it saying, you know, if I wouldn't have left her, if I wouldn't have came home, I was scared to get in trouble. You know what I mean? So um, he has come a long way and, you know, was able to do the documentary. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking, you know, because he's his little best friend, you know. I know. Um, I was going to say when you were talking The guilt that was put on him is just so sad too, you know. Yeah, when you were talking about that part, I was thinking immediately, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sure her brother still to this day feels that guilt and like lives with that, even though it's not his fault at all. And that's just how it happened. But I mean, it's only human and natural to feel that way. Yeah, he's done since. Um, He's got a family of his own now. He named his baby after Amber's middle name. Oh, I love that. He is, you know... He has moved on and he is creating his own family. But That's good to hear. Definitely. Well, that was, you were not wrong. That was a very sad story. <laughs> and I can't even imagine, like you said, how much more sad watching the documentary, like watching each of them speak on it and like the videos and pictures and everything that would make it even, even more rough. Yeah, because the videos, not only was it, you know, a documentary, but the, it was live raw footage. So when you're watching it, you're like really watching her. Like, right. So I don't know if you're going to go back and watch all of it. It is worth watching. But like I said, it's definitely one of the harder stories that I watched. I have to be in a, a specific mood to sit down and watch it. <laughs> I'll watch it when I'm already feeling kind of sad. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be helpful. <laughs> but now I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it doesn't ruin the small amount of time if I feel happy. <laughs> but once again, thank you guys for sticking through and tuning in and listening and giving us the time of day. Yes, we appreciate it. And hit us up on our social medias, Horror, Wine, and Crime at Everything. Email us, horrorwineandcrime at gmail.com if you have a story or anything you want to email us. Well, maybe not anything. Don't be weird, but. (laughs) (laughs) I used to open that Pandora's box. (laughs) And those ones to KK? No, I take it back. (laughs) I take it back. but yeah thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next week and that note we got to go stay creepy bye bye